Hear the word from the Lord from Proverbs 2, starting from verse 2. If you make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. From Proverbs 3, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from wisdom is better than gain from silver, and wisdom's profit better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare to it. Long life is in wisdom's right hand, and wisdom's left hand are riches and honor. Wisdom's ways are ways of pleasantness, and all wisdom's paths are peace. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who lay hold of it. Those who hold wisdom fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. Do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. From Proverbs 4. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake wisdom, and wisdom will keep you. Love wisdom, and wisdom will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize wisdom highly, and wisdom will exalt you. Wisdom will honor you if you embrace wisdom. Wisdom will place on your head a graceful garland. Wisdom will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Thank you, readers, and thank you, leadership team and spiritual overseers. You don't see it, but they put in hours and hours to try to make sure that we are following God's will for us as a church. So, good morning. I am Pastor Bill, and it's my privilege to bring the second message in our new sermon series, God, What God Says. <clears throat> if you've been with us for the last couple months, you know that we've been doing a series on the prayers of the Bible. We've looked at, at those who are great prayers, and we've looked at what they pray and how they pray. And so in this series, instead of focusing on what we say to God, we're focusing on what God says to us. So much has changed in the world in the last 18 months. So much has changed in the church. And so much has changed inside of each of us. 
And evidently, it's normal, I'm reading, that when there are upheavals in a culture, when there are upheavals in our lives, it's normal to reevaluate things that are going on in our lives to see whether we are living lives, the lives that we really want to live. So as many of you know, we are in a time period where many people are re-evaluating their relationship with work. If they're working from home, they're trying to figure out how to manage the boundaries between home and home life and work life. Many people right now are really demanding that companies treat them with more honor and respect. And a lot of people in what this time period is being called the great resignation, a lot of people are just giving up and they're quitting their jobs. You also know that a lot of people are re-evaluating their relationship with the church because of too much that's been so wrong or too wrong in the church. Lots of people are saying, I'm done. I can't handle this anymore. And then there are some people who are deconstructing their faith. They're actually re-evaluating their relationship with Jesus. Well, this morning, in the midst of all of the upheavals in our world and in the church and in our lives, I want to invite you to reevaluate your relationship with wisdom. I want to invite you to reevaluate your relationship with wisdom. At Cornerstone, we talk, um, we talk about our personal money stories, and we talk about our personal spiritual stories. And when we know our stories, we understand ourselves better, and we understand better how we fit into the great story that God is writing in the world. I would like you this morning to put words to, to discern, to discover your own personal wisdom story so that you understand yourself and so that you can intentionally reevaluate your relationship with wisdom. So first I want to share with you some foundational biblical truths about wisdom, and then I'm, I'm going to share you, with you some of my personal wisdom story. Actually, you'll find out it's more my personal foolishness story. And so I, do that, I will do that in the hopes that it will get you to start to think of what is your story and what do you want your personal relationship with wisdom to be. Um, heads up, uh, there are going to be nine slides with a bunch of scriptures on them because I want you to see how much the scriptures talk about wisdom. And so if you want to, take pictures of the slides. That way you can re review them later. You don't have to get them all figured out as I read them in the message. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to make right decisions that lead to best possible outcomes. That's it. It's the ability to discern and understand a situation as best you can, the variables and what are the other factors in that situation, and then to make a good decision that blesses all who are affected by it. In really short term, in one sentence, wisdom is to do the right things the right ways for the right reasons. That's, that's, it's as simple as that. James chapter, five, or chapter 3 described biblical wisdom like this. It says, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, and sincere. And one of my favorite scriptures on wisdom of many of them is actually Proverbs 22.3 that goes like this. The wise person sees danger ahead 
and goes a different way. The foolish person passes on and suffers, which is to say that a wise person, wisdom is to see patterns that are going on, seeing the, the reality of the way things really are, and a wise person can, can project those patterns forward and say, you know, if I keep on this trajectory and this path, I'm going to drop off that cliff. And then they change their behavior so they don't drop off that cliff. And wise people are people who see those patterns and change their behavior because of them. Foolish people don't see the patterns, or if they see the patterns, they don't change their behaviors. So Henry Cloud, a Christian psychologist, um, rewrote Proverbs 22.3 like this. He says, the wise see the facts and change their behavior. The foolish see the facts and argue with them. Wisdom is to do the right things for the right reasons at the right times. And to grow in wisdom is to become more discerning and aware of what's going, what is reality as it is, and how do we align our lives with that reality. Um, as we just heard in the scriptures that are read, the scriptures call us to reevaluate our relationship with wisdom. This isn't just something that comes up because we've been in the age of COVID and racial reckoning. The scriptures call us to reevaluate our relationship with wisdom. A couple scriptures that you just heard, Proverbs 4, 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. That's the first part of wisdom. Get wisdom. Whatever you do, get insight. Proverbs 3, 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Proverbs 3.15, wisdom is more precious than jewels, and nothing you can desire can compare with it. And Proverbs 16.16, 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold. To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. And then when you read through Proverbs 4, you, you find that all these things that wisdom will do for you. Wisdom will protect you. Wisdom will guard you. Wisdom will exalt you. Wisdom will honor you. Wisdom will bestow upon you a crown of glory. The Bible calls us to reevaluate our relationship with wisdom. So last week, Pastor Linda um, talked about the truth that God is all-knowing. As the one who created all things, as the first mover, God knows everything. His, his knowledge is infinite. There's nothing that God does not know. Not even a sparrow falls to the ground, but that God knows it. God knows the number of hairs on your head constantly, which means that there's nothing about the world or about you. God is never surprised. There's nothing God doesn't know, which is why we can lean into him. We know that God will never misunderstand us. We can lean into his omniscience because God knows everything. But it's not just that God knows everything. It's not just that he's all-knowing. It is also true that God is all-wise. God understands the significance and purpose and depth of all things. So let me give you a number more scriptures to set this for you. Psalm 145, 147, verse 5. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His wisdom is beyond measure. Job 12. With God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. 
Jeremiah says, God made the earth by his power, established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. Daniel chapter 2, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. And one of my favorite blessings in the scriptures, which you, many of you have heard me say many times, is 1 Timothy 1.17. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Unto the king eternal, immortal, and invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And then Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. God is not just all-knowing, but he is all-wise. God is the fountain of wisdom for all of our lives. But it's not just God the Father who's all-wise. We read in the Gospels that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. We look at Jesus in the Gospels, and we're astounded at the wisdom of how he responds to his antagonists who are trying to trap him. We watch Jesus in the Gospels, and we realize that Jesus walked the way of wisdom of the Old Testament. When he was in his hometown, Matthew 13 tells us, coming to his hometown, Jesus taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? 1 Corinthians 1 says that Jesus is the wisdom of God. And Colossians 2 says that in Christ Jesus are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and understanding. And then to finish out the triad, the third person of the the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is frequently called the spirit of wisdom. The spirit of wisdom. So that Paul could say in Ephesians 1 that he prayed that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom, of revelation and knowledge in him. So number one, wisdom is to do the right things at the right times in the right ways. And number two, the scriptures say that God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are our fountain, our reserve. They have all of the wisdom that we need in our lives and in our world. And you all know things are pretty messed up right now, right? There are so many areas in our world that are just looming disasters that it feels like, like we are charging forward without seeing the patterns and we're going to drop off that cliff. We need the wisdom of God in our world. We need the wisdom of God in our church because the church has to shed some of the, the baggage that it's carried along that's been very cultural and not very Jesus. And we need the wisdom of God in our personal lives. There are decisions that we have to make. There are responses that we have to give. There, there is a life that we're called to live that we want to make a difference. And for that, we will need the wisdom of God, which leads us to the whole point of what does God say? God says to us, come to me for wisdom. You don't have to. We can live foolish lives if we want. We can live unexamined lives. But God invites us, come to me for wisdom. And now my last string of scriptures, Proverbs 2, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Many of you have memorized Proverbs 3, 
5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. In Proverbs 4, God says, I will guide you in the way of wisdom. Ephesians 5, look carefully as to how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And then James 1, that's probably known more than any of these regarding wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to them. But ask in faith, without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So, that's the biblical foundation. Now let me tell you some of my own personal story of wisdom. And I hope that it will encourage you to start to think about your own story of wisdom, actually going back to maybe when you were a child. Many of you know that I grew up in a Christian home. My parents were devoted to Jesus Christ. My dad led worship on, Sunday, on Sundays, and my mom played piano. And so on Saturday nights in the Johnson family, the Johnson children fell asleep Saturdays listening to mom and dad playing the piano and rehearsing the songs for Sunday worship. But that only lasted till I was about in sixth or seventh grade, and my parents were on the losing end of a really nasty church fight. And my parents gave up on the church for the rest of their lives. Still devoted to Christ, but they lost hope in the church. That said, around our dinner table, we still mostly had spiritual conversations. We talked about what Jesus wanted to do in us and through us. The church didn't have a part of it for my parents. The kids kept going, but my parents never went to church after that fight unless one of their sons was preaching or one of their daughters was singing because they lost all hope in the church. But we still talked about Jesus and what he wanted us to become. And so I remember as early as either fourth or fifth grade, I kind of do my memories by what house we were living in then. So around fourth or fifth grade, I clearly remember praying to God for wisdom and really fervently praying to God for wisdom. By the way, I haven't stopped that since. But as early as grade school, I would just, I, would, I just knew, actually, I knew how foolish I was, and I knew how much I needed wisdom. I'm pretty sure that by the time I got through junior high or the middle of high school, that I had read the book of Proverbs five times because I just wanted to have the wisdom of God in my life, mostly because my dad would tell me constantly how foolish I was, and he would tell me, you know you're going to pay for that, if you don't get wiser. So, um, it's not, I wasn't pursuing wisdom because I was so spiritual. I was pursuing it because I was so foolish. And so this is where you're supposed to ask, how foolish were you, Pastor Bill? So, how Bill? it's supposed to be up there. Thank you. <laughs> Nobody else wants to know that? Let's try that again. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't ask you to say how intelligent I was. All right. So the guys I hung out with in junior high and high school, we weren't bad kids. We didn't do illegal things. We just did really, really, really stupid things. And, um, and so, by the way, guys, but also females, don't ever underestimate the stupidity of too much testosterone. So um, we lived next to some railroad tracks when I was in seventh and eighth grade. And it had freight trains and passenger trains. And we knew that 
you know, if we threw rocks at passenger trains, well, somebody might get scared or somebody might get hurt, so we should, we're not doing that. Freight trains were a different story. And so what we would do is we would hear the train coming and we'd go across the road, go across the path, and pick up rocks about the size of our hands and then stand just inside the trees at the bottom of the rail bed. And we would throw rocks at the train cars, right? Harmless, just hitting a bunch of metal train cars. And, um, and because it was so satisfying when you heard the, the rock hit, right? And now, again, we're in seventh grade, so we're not throwing with great force, but we're able to hit the train. Well, after a while, that got too easy. So we said, you know, we should wait for the boxcars with an open door. And then we throw, and the points are, you throw it into the open boxcar. And you know that you succeeded because the rock will go bouncing around inside the boxcar. Did that for a while. And then, um, and then that got kind of boring. A boxcar came through with the doors open on both sides. New game. Ding, ding, ding. Throw it all the way through the boxcar. And you know that you succeeded because you wouldn't hear it bouncing around inside the boxcar. I don't know how long we did that until one of us geniuses thought, wait, guys, what? Um, on the other side of the tracks is the grocery store parking lot. What if we throw a stone through and hurt somebody? And we went, oh, and we all stopped because we were so wise. We said, okay, no more throwing stones through the open boxcars. So now we're back to just one car open trying to hit them with them. But after a while, that gets kind of boring. And so, um, and then what happens is one of us geniuses, probably reading um, some child book, said as we're throwing stones into the open boxcar, wait, guys, what if there are hobos inside? We might hurt them. And we went, oh, yeah, right, we shouldn't do this. And so now we just have to hit you know, any train car that's not an open one with a, a hobo inside. And somebody takes the rock and they throw it at an automobile that was on the train car. So when I was a kid, automobiles that were transported by rail were put onto open-sided train cars. They don't do that anymore. We are pretty sure that we're partly to blame for it because the game was, can you hear glass breaking when you throw the stone? And so I don't know how long we did that, but again, it's such a satisfying sound. Um, until one of us geniuses says, wait a second, if we're breaking all these windows, somebody's gonna have to clean up after us. We shouldn't do this anymore. We never thought of the financial cost because as a junior high boy, it's way worse to make a mess that somebody else has to clean up after you than it is to cause financial distress. So we said, oh yeah, yeah, we, I guess we better not do that anymore. So for the rest of that summer and through the winter, we had to just revert to just throwing water balloons and snowballs at the cars that drove on the road between us and the tracks. And that was that summer. I'm pretty sure it was the next summer or spring. And one of us figured out how to make pipe bombs. We figured out, so I, don't, I don't know which of us it was. There are five or six of us in the crew. And we weren't bad kids, we were just stupid kids and figured out, you know, take copper pipe, crimp it and then cram it full of accelerant. And I'm not gonna tell you what the accelerant was because there are too many guys in the room. And crimp it on the other end. And what you do is you take this piece of copper about yay wide and you, um, you find your sermon notes again, um, about this wide. And then you, you put it out by the railroad tracks and you drop boulders on it. You come up and drop so that eventually it will compress and it will explode. 
And you never know when it's going to explode. It might explode on the 10th or the 20th kind of boulder that you drop on it. Or maybe it'd be the third one that was part of the excitement. And maybe it would explode and just go kaboom. Or maybe it would blow out one end and shoot like a whistling bullet through the woods or maybe towards the guys who are waiting their turn to throw the boulders. I would like to tell you that one of us geniuses said, guys, this might not be smart, but we didn't stop until we used up all my dad's copper pipe. I still remember when he was yelling down in the um, basement, where's my copper pipe? And my brother and I went outside to play in the yard. All right, all this to say, by the way, that's just scratching the surface. There was the bullet we found in a drawer, and we thought, I wonder whether we can get this to shoot off if we hit it with a rock. And so right about here on my leg, got a little piece of concrete that embedded in my leg. My mom still didn't know. My mom never knew about it. Um, and embedded my leg from when it finally shot off and it spit up this concrete. All right, these are the kinds of foolish things that we did as kids. Um, There's lots more, <laughs> and, and it's kind of embarrassing in one sense. In another sense, it was loads of fun, but I knew as a little kid that I just had this gap in wisdom, this gap of common sense. Um, <laughs> so when my wife's listening to this from home, so when I first got to Cornerstone, I came back from one of the early staff meetings. I walked through the door and Marla said, um, did you tell them? And I went, what? Did you tell them? I said, what? Did you tell the pastors how foolish you are? And I said, no. And she said, you have to tell them how foolish they are. You have to tell them that you don't take hints because you miss hints because you're clueless. You have to tell them how foolish you are. And so I went back to the next staff meeting and said, guys, I got blind spots. If I knew what they were, I'd do something about them, but they're really, really blind spots. Uh, you got to call me when I'm doing stupid stuff. When we were dating, um, I would tell Marla other, all kinds of stories of what we did as kids. She always had the same question. Where was your mother? <laughs> and I just kind of never knew. All right. Along the way, in this journey, I figured out that I needed to find wise people and get them into my life. I just needed to tap into. I needed to be around people who would show me what was foolish and what was wise. So I would look for mentors, or I would just try to spend time around people that I thought they were deep and wise, and I would just watch how they looked at life. So when I was in um, seventh grade, I went to junior high school, and there was this new kid who was kind of dorky because he was a missionary kid, and he had just come, in back, come back from Cameroon. And so he had the dorkiness of missionary kids. And I hung around with this guy. We actually ended up going through junior high, high school, college, and seminary together. But early on, this guy would keep saying things like, I wonder what God thinks about this. I wonder how God feels about this. And I learned that here was a person who was trying to figure out God's perspectives. And so I didn't have to just hope for wisdom. I could actually stop and try to figure out what might God have in mind for this particular situation. Now, the sermon illustration was in the message um, this last week, um, probably like Tuesday or Wednesday. And then later in the week, he said, hey, Bill, can I come to Cornerstone? So that guy is in the back 
Paul is in the back, somewhere back there. And um, so the old white guy with the long beard, um, that's the buddy that um, I, I realize he's not sitting in his seat, so he might have gone next door. Um, but that's the guy that used to say to me when we were kids, I wonder how God feels about that. I need to find wise people in my life. I also have figured out that I have to do what I did with my staff when I got to Cornerstone. I have to give my friends and the people who know me well, they have to have complete permission to tell me when they think I'm being foolish. If my friends don't look out for me, I'll have these blind spots as big as train cars that I don't see. So I've learned I've got to give my friends explicit permission to tell me when I'm foolish. Another thing that I learned along the way, though, is that sometimes my friends won't do that for whatever reason. But I figured out who will. You know who will tell me my faults? My antagonists and my critics. I figured out over the years that some of the best resources for me for knowing my foolishness was to listen to those who were critical of me. Yes, I have to sort through what's valid and what's not valid. But I learned that they will often put their finger on just the right thing that I need to work on next. And so um, this last week, I finished reading a book by uh, a biography of C.S. Lewis. Um, because C.S. Lewis was one of those people. I didn't just try to find wise people in my life. I also tried to, to read those who were wise. So I've done lots of reading from, from Seneca to Christian writers to non-Christian writers. And if they've got wisdom about life, I, I kind of want to read them. So I just finished this biography of C.S. Lewis this last week called The Narnian, and the author's name is Alan Jacobs. And Alan Jacobs is talking about Jesus' book, The Abolition of Man. The Abolition of Man, not Jesus' book, C.S. Lewis's book about the abolition of man. The Abolition of Man is where C.S. Lewis is criticizing our current culture. And he says that the patterns going on in the current culture when he was writing were not going to lead to the thriving of mankind, they were going to lead to the abolition of man. And so Jacobs talks about and quotes, partly quotes Lewis, um, who argued that, C.S. Lewis argued that the magicians of the Renaissance and scientists of our day, they seem like they're different, but they have behind them the same goal. And he says it like this, there is something which unites magic and applied science while separating both from wisdom of earlier ages. Something unites magic and science that separates them from the wisdom of earlier ages. For the wise of old, the cardinal problem had been how to conform the soul to reality. And the solution had been knowledge, self-discipline, and virtue. The goal was to conform the soul to reality. He says, for the magic of yore and the applied science of today, the problem is how to subdue reality to the wishes of men. The impulse that magic and applied science, we might call it technology today, the impulse that magic and applied science share is control. And C.S. Lewis goes on to say, modern Humanists, like scientists today and like magic, magicians of the Renaissance, seek power and control rather than wisdom. And he says, this is how they have cut themselves off from the moral law and are contributing not to the enrichment of humanity, but 
to its abolition. So this last week, I was thinking a lot about what happens to us when we seek control versus when we seek wisdom. When we seek control, we're trying to make the world bend to our expectations. And guess what? We can't do that. To seek control is to seek to be God himself. We were created to be like God, but we were not created to be God. When human beings seek control rather than wisdom, the result is anxiety and disillusionment and brokenness. The scriptures call us to seek wisdom, to bend our lives to the reality of the world, to meet God's expectations, and not to seek control to make the world fit our expectations. What are you pursuing in your life? Your anxiety might tell you what you're pursuing, but what are you pursuing in your life? I want to encourage you to reevaluate your relationship with wisdom so that you name your wisdom story or your foolishness story so that you decide what you will do to turn to God for the wisdom that he has for you. I'm so confident that I have so far to go that I'm pretty sure I'm never going to stop praying for wisdom for the rest of my life and maybe for all eternity because I need to grow this virtue. By the way, wisdom or prudence was the first of the cardinal virtues throughout the Middle Ages thinking about the Christian life. As, as churchgoers today, in the Protestant tradition, we tend to have a view of the Christian life that is sin management. If I manage my sin, then I'm doing okay. In many of the, the, middle, uh, the Catholic writers of the Middle Ages, the idea wasn't quite so much sin management as much as nurturing the virtues. And wisdom was the first of the four cardinal virtues. Wisdom, justice, courage, and temperance. And they all started with wisdom. Right now in my life, I realize that I need to learn to grow old with grace and wisdom. Because I'm pretty sure that someday, eventually, I'm going to grow old. It's natural to grow old. It's spiritual to grow deep in wisdom. What are you pursuing in your life? God clearly speaks to us and says, come to me for wisdom. I'd like to give you two minutes for you to just be still, talk with Jesus, reflect on wisdom and foolishness in your life. And there are a couple questions that we'll put up on the screen and leave up there. Where specifically do you need the wisdom of God in your life right now? Secondly, where is God calling you to express the wisdom of God in your life, in your workplace, in some relationship, at your school? And third, what will you do to turn to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for wisdom? So I'll keep track of the time. I'll come back in two minutes. Spend this time with the Holy Spirit and wisdom.
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we know because you tell us so many times. We know that you listen when we speak to you. I pray that we will listen when you speak to us. May we at Cornerstone learn to listen even more than to talk to you. We need your divine wisdom in the complexities of life and this world. There are problems facing us as the human race that that will only lead to suffering if we continue in foolishness and don't look to you for your divine wisdom. Father, thank you that you are the all-wise God. Jesus, thank you that in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And Holy Spirit, help us pursue wisdom and not control. Help us to weave into our lives patterns of discernment and intentionality and reflection so that more and more we do the right things at the right times in the right ways. Help us as a congregation to walk the way of wisdom that Jesus walked. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.